And welcome back to a fresh episode of the Business Growth Show. I'm your host, Sam Dunning, co-owner over at webchoiceuk.com. And if you haven't done so yet, check out our weekly email where I share actionable website and B2B marketing tips, useful podcasts, free goodies, and much more each and every Monday to kick off your week with a bang. Why not give it a shot over at businessgrowth.email. Joining me today, I've got Vanda Yurasek. Vanda is the Demand Gen Manager over at Radian. Vanda, a warm welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm good. You? <laughs> doing well. Yeah, doing well this fine Monday. I'm looking forward to chatting with you, Vanda. We're talking about a fresh and unique topic for the show. We're talking about creating B2B demand, but not just anywhere. We're talking about specifically for creating it in developing and frontier countries. So let's not beat around the bush as we rarely do. Let's jump straight in. I want to know, Vander, in your in your opinion, your thoughts, what is the importance of demand generation right now in the B2B world? So I, I would say it's really kind of key to growth. Um, I think us as marketers, we were looking at marketing for a long, long time as kind of support function. And I believe right. with the whole creating demand, kind of, I would say a story that we started and the revolution we started, uh, we are getting more connected to actually produce revenue. Uh, I think marketing as such is being looked at as, you know, as an equal um, to sales, which I think it's basically contributing to all the company's uh, success. Um, and I'm happy to be in this process, to be honest. I'm happy to kind of see the benefits. I, I see the success um, and I'm happy to, to be in a company where we are basically creating revenue with our marketing efforts. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. And just in your opinion, I don't want to dive too, too deeply into this because we have covered it on previous episodes. But what would you say is the importance, Vanda? Um, when comparing capturing existing demand, so people that are aware they have a problem or they need your service or your product, they're aware that they actually have something they need to fix or something they need to improve and kind of capturing that market as opposed to creating fresh demand, building demand, demand generation where you're trying to get in front of prospects that have perhaps never heard of your company, educate them, whether that's through different forms of media, podcasts, videos, communities, you name it, and getting raising awareness when the time comes and they do have a problem you fix, then being the, the company that's front in mind. Do you, would you say there's a split, in your opinion, that B2B companies should focus X percentage on each or X importance of each right now? I think it's really about the, the balance. Um, I think the companies tend uh, naturally go into the mode, let's, let's just like capture the existing demand. Uh, I think it's just natural that comes to us to find the people who are actually searching for us in this moment. So we kind of neglect, in a way, the, the part of creating demand. Uh, but if you look at it from the strategic point of view of what you would actually have to be doing, I think you know, creating demand should be a part of your long-term strategy. Without that, basically, you're, you're losing. Uh, but you should be also very much focused on capturing the existing demand. So it's it's all about the balance, I would say. Yeah, and I suppose also it depends like what stage or what category your company's in. 
like if your company's in a mature sector or an established category, then I suppose it just makes sense to capture that market demand that's already out there. Um, whereas yeah. if you're starting something completely fresh, I suppose you have no no option but to create create new demand, raise awareness, raise brand for for your for your category and position yourself as the go-to. I suppose. Correct. Correct. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, for our for our company where we are at, we have an existing cut category, but I would say it's pretty hard to find people who are actually searching for your solution i think naturally and i'll speak about it maybe more later but sure um being more in a traditional kind of sector of banking and basically selling the solution in the more like frontier and emerging markets it's it's a bit different story uh because what we notice uh, is that you know people who are managing those type of companies and we are talking about like um smaller kind of size financial institutions, um, institutions that are more traditional and being digital, digitized, for them, they don't see the problem uh, at the beginning. They don't see right. that, you know, having manual processes, you know, doing things even on paper, that that's yep. a problem uh, because it's the way that have they have been doing that so far. Uh, so for them, it's, and for us, it's more about, you know, creating demand and making sure that they see that there are better ways to do it and ma to make them basically uh, problem aware. I think that's kind of the key that we are kind of having a challenge with because they are not so proactively searching. Um, we can see that, for example, from, you know, like going to Google search and trying to find solutions like ours. These are not big volumes. Uh, so we are aware that we need to kind of shift shift their mindset, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And would you say so? We're we're going to go through your your breakdown of how everyone tuning in can learn to create demand for developing countries. But would you say that that is the main difference when it comes to trying to build demand for a developing country as opposed to one that's not? Um, is it is it lack of awareness, or there are a number of different things? that are differentiators that you should bear in mind? Yeah, um, that's, that's a good question. I would say that in general, when we're talking about like frontier markets and emerging markets, what we see is actually a big technology boom. And, and I think it's being just, you know, happening for the last decade. And there's more and more companies uh, opening up in those markets, designing services and products for those markets specifically. So that's really happening there. And there are like many like fintech hubs, for example, in Africa, I know Lagos is one of them. So like there are many companies really doing that. But when it comes to those markets and more tra traditional kind of sectors, as I say, more kind of connected to banking, then we have challenges with the mindset towards the technology uh, because there is really what we see is you know um, companies that are dealing with mostly outdated ways of working or legacy systems um, and it's really hard for us to to shift that mindset because um, you know changing a core banking system because that's what we are offering that's that's a big thing it's not just yeah. plug and play it's not just like you press a button and it's done yeah uh, 
people see it as a painful process because it's a process that needs a lot of education internally, you know, the whole change management kind of thing. Um, there is a process of implementation. So, you know, having all that in mind and, and shifting towards a new and better technology still, be, still is a challenge uh, for those countries. I can imagine. Um, and it's, it's like you say, even even in non-developing countries, like the, the mindset, I suppose, is not that much different. People don't wake up, B2B execs don't wake up and decide that they're going to spend thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands on these kinds of softwares or technologies or offers. It's something that even with today's marketing, it's got to be nurtured over time. You've got to build that brand. But I imagine, I mean, what's the what's the technology difference, Vander? Because at, like at, our, at our disposal, for example, we can utilize communities, we can utilize paid search we can utilize things like linkedin ads um we can utilize podcasts all these different mediums to build up our brand and essentially get in front of our target prospects our target buyers and the channels they like to hang out in so Mm -hmm. when they eventually might have a problem we fix we're top of mind but is there a big technology gap would you say um for these countries or do they use most of the tech that we're into well if we are talking about channels that you mentioned now so like talking about more from the marketing perspective where where we want to let's say catch and engage these people i would say there is not much difference um maybe it depends on type of markets what type of i don't know social social media is more uh utilized that you know in, in that market or the way they like to consume the content so yeah. we noticed for example just like looking at the cultural differences for some markets, they like to, you know, read and be prepared and and do their own research. Mm-hmm. While for others, for example, uh, let's say in African markets, we notice that people are much more active at at the beginning. They're already like full of questions. They are ready to come to you and and be educated by you directly. So there is there is kind of difference in the way. Yes, they engage with the content, uh, but channel-wise, yeah, I mean, market by market, there might be slight differences, but in general way of technology, where they are, um, quite similar, quite similar. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So with that said, let's uh, let's dive straight in. What are the first considerations if we are wanting to build demand for our company, our brand, our offering, and ultimately position our, our business as the, the go-to for, for our sector. What's, what's the first thing that we should consider before we jump straight in? Yeah, definitely. The first thing you need to consider is, you know, who is your audience? And that's the key. Um, I think in any type of businesses, in any market, you have to start with your customer or your right. prospect. Um, for example, if I would just put the difference with the frontier in emerging markets, you need to kind of take that landscape uh, and environment into the consideration. But it's all about engaging and finding who are the audience uh, you want to actually um, uh, engage with. So. Right. Starting with them, it's all about understanding basically what their problems are. I think the first thing is like to understand what their struggles are in those yeah. markets, in those environments. Um, for example, we are into microfinance, so we want to understand those type of problems. 
Um, we want to understand on a general company level, what are the challenges and what are the goals, but also going layer deeper, understanding who are the people in those companies um, and also their personal kind of pain points and personal challenges and personal goals. Um, what we need to understand as well is like, uh, when we have the audience, we need to understand how they actually engage in the process of, of finding a solution. Do they do it proactively or do they do it when they really see a need and a problem that they cannot go after, so, so, so they cannot resolve? Um, so trying to understand the whole dynamic around this audience um, and how they research and what problems they, are, they have um, I think it's also important to have the conversations to see what type of um, influencers are in those communities. Uh, what yep. we noticed as well is that as we are in microfinance, these institutions are very much connected to each other. So they have their own, for example, um, community-led kind of um, events and, and gatherings. So for okay. that, it's really important that we are present there and that uh, we understand what's happening in those communities. So going back to who is your audience, you need to understand also the community environment around it. I think it's very crucial uh, because if they don't go, which I mentioned before, if they don't go to, for example, Google search to search about core banking system, they will see what their you know, neighbors in their community are doing. And literally it's that if they see, you know, there is a, um, company, a bank, a financial institution like theirs in those communities using something similar or using our solution, they will start actually thinking about it. So they don't go maybe necessarily from the need itself to seeing a problem, but if they see that other people are using it, there might be a consideration happening in, in you know, in, in time. Got so it. it's all about, yeah, getting the understanding who you're talking to. There's a lot to break down there, but that's a, that's just certainly a great start. So knowing your audience, now any tips, does this, in terms of kind of nailing down ideal client profile, is this much the same that you do in a, a normal situation? Are we talking about things like looking at our existing customer base? Are we talking about the prospects that we think kind of have problems that we fix? Are we talking about um, kind of talking to kind of target clients, things like that? Or was there a bit more to it, Vanda? I mean, I'd, I'd like to know kind of a brief idea of maybe what you did at your organization when it comes to nailing down kind of client profile. Yeah, so for us, it's uh, basically talking with our customers. I think that's the first and the best source of information you can get. Uh, if you have already customers, I think definitely go to them and talk to them. Um, here we learned a lot because basically from those type of information from their side where we understand, you know, how they came to us and why they chose us, um, you know, not the, the competition. This is the learning we, we, we got and it helped us shape our kind of positioning in those markets and understanding what actually this audience needs. Uh, so it's definitely talking to them. Um, but yeah, there are cases, for example, you know, we are looking now at more markets and we don't have customers there. So what you should be doing is basically trying to reach your prospects and trying to reach prospects, not in a way that you're trying to sell them instantly, 
and that comes naturally sometimes. But I think the point is just to try to have, you know, basic conversation of understanding, you know, how they're doing their business, uh, what type of solutions they're using right now, um, how they make decisions, um, the hierarchy in those companies. Um, I think, you know, if you kind of write up questions, you know, a questionnaire of 15 to 20 questions, and start engaging with your prospects in a way which is literally, I want to learn about your business. Um, I think that would be an awesome start, basically. Yeah. yeah that's, that's always the tricky one, right? Isn't it? Because it's, I mean, I say it's easy. It's not that easy even to talk to your existing customers sometimes because from my experience, not everyone just wants to jump on a, a Zoom call or a video call at their women call. Um, just doing that with existing clients is sometimes difficult enough. And then yeah. when it comes to actually interviewing prospects that are almost cold, yeah. that that in itself is quite a tricky mission, um, I found. So, yeah, any any tips for kind of perhaps feel free to use your own um, organization in terms of how you went about kind of identifying who are this, this target audience that we want to reach out to and then nailing down things like the, their frustrations, their problems, and kind of using those to, to your advantage? Yeah, um, one of the tips would be definitely, um, for example, as we are talking more about you know, frontier emerging markets, yeah. um, it's the community. And these communities usually also have associations. Uh, in our cases, wherever we are looking at, whichever markets we are looking at, we find these type of associations, which are basically community-led um, associations. And there, there is a gold of information you can find about okay. these institutions and basically how they're doing their business and what are their challenges, you know, looking at the whole community, what they struggle with. Uh, what they want to improve, where they want to go in the future, their future plans, their short-term plans even. So I think that's kind of a good place to go at the beginning to search for that type of information. Um, and it's also good if you have a good relationship with the local as association, then it's much easier to actually find this type of prospect you want to talk to because you already have an introduction there. Um, and then these type of institutions are more open actually to give you and give you their time i think that's actually you know the hardest thing to get their time uh but yeah like if you if you look at it from the perspective that you want to engage with the local kind of um gathering then i think local associations would be a good start yeah yeah that's that's good advice um yeah, I think that that covers off that that point pretty much. Is there anything else that we should consider when it comes to actually? I know you talked about that prospects were perhaps seeing the solution in play for perhaps did you say competitors or similar companies, and then for example they would see that they were using your solution and then inquire about it. Can you tell us a bit, a little bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, we see that more and more, um, especially in the markets where we have already a, a good and a solid customer base. Um, we see that as much as we are like entering that market and getting more customers, the inquiries go up as well naturally. Um, I think what's interesting is that 
as these institutions, as I said, are positioned in some kind of regional way and they have their kind of local uh, uh, communities. In those ways, we can see that they discuss various types of problems and they do touch upon the problems that we solve. Um, and in those scenarios, when our name is mentioned, there is always people asking, you know, what is this company about? What they, you know, how they're helping you? Uh, you know, how did you reach those numbers? Oh, it's because you have a partner named this and this. So they're very keen on having those conversations. Sometimes there's like super open and, you know, sharing everything that you know we are helping with because for example in our case scenario we are trying to really partner with those institutions so if in those communities there is a good word about us naturally there will be more inquiries and we can see that actually and we can prove that when we see you know from the regional kind of perspective view uh, if we see more kind of names coming from one region we can assume why that why that is happening yeah and when you mention communities do these tend to be a mix of in-person events or gatherings as well as like digital like slack and such like yeah it's more to be honest it's more personal and in person okay. right so uh i mean when covid came these communities went digital but it's really obvious it's not so natural to them they were all super happy i saw some of the latest event uh, images and videos they're super excited to be like in person again uh so yeah they tend to really have this um you know in-person kind of conversations they feel more comfortable they feel more open discussing in that way yeah. um and yeah it's something that we are also trying to be a part of nice yeah, I need to get myself to some SaaS and uh, B2B marketing okay. events soon because I feel like I'm missing out. Like, I literally haven't been to, haven't done an event in years. So, um, yeah, excited <laughs> to, to do that kind of stuff because literally all, all in front of my camera at the moment. So, yeah, that'll be cool. <laughs> Nick Bennett, the Director of Sales at Inbound Marketing Agency Impact, had a booking problem. Before? On HubSpot meetings, their website visitors had to take a huge seven or eight clicks from form submission through to meeting booked. Plus, they couldn't see who was abandoning midway through. With the help of Chili Piper, they're down to around just three clicks to book meeting and have full visibility into any drop-offs. One main friction point before was lead routing. HubSpot meetings added a form field plus two extra clicks just to do this. Chili Piper allows them to distribute leads to the right sales rep super fast. As a result, Impactful have increased book meetings and provide a web experience both web visitors and their revenue teams love. We're constantly trying to just make the web experience better. To us, the most valuable thing was providing a delightful experience for people on the website because that's often the first touch point people have with us as people. Get your free demo of Chili Piper today at chilipiper.com slash bgs that's c-h-i-l-i-p-i-p-e-r dot com slash bgs are you tired of the competition stealing your potential clients and website traffic just because they rank higher than you on google for the main services or products you offer or maybe you're already investing in seo or marketing 
but your website's failing to convert your hard-earned visitors into a steady flow of qualified sales leads. Or perhaps you already work with a web or SEO agency, but they're just not getting you the results they promised. Let's fix that. Get in touch with us over at webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Mention the podcast and set up a call with Sam to see if we can help you with the results today. All right, so that we've gone into that into to some detail. So that's great, Vanda. We talked about knowing your audience. Once we have nailed this stage, what comes next? Yeah, when you kind of have this whole image, you know, who are you talking to? Who is your audience? Their problems in general, their problems, you know, layered down. Um, I think it's important then to step back and think, how is my my solution helping them? So I know what their troubles are. Am I really helping them and in which ways and it's trying to kind of match you know one image next to each other and see in which ways we can actually convey the messages to towards that audience so they actually get it and understand it so sometimes I say like to speak the same language and it's not like literally about the language it's really you know making sure that the way that you're you know, sending out the, your messages that are that they are really being understood. Um, right. As I said, like examples of that, um, we had cases in some markets where we noticed people are not so keen on reading things. It's more about visual things or video kind of things. Um, so for them, that was that was a good way to consume messages. They felt more comfortable. Um, so I think it's really important to understand that concept as well. Um, sometimes we go, you know, overhead and think like, oh, we need to educate, we need content. And then you're like building that for weeks and it's like, you know, 10 pages or, or something. But you mm. need to be aware of, you know, if your audience is more keen to having, you know, shorter you know, messages from time to time, or they prefer really, you know, watching a two-minute video, or even having an in-person event. That's that's the path you need to follow. You cannot just assume things and do things because you feel that's the right way. Um, you need to really understand, you know, where your audience is with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not working off assumptions, actually working off. The information that you're gathering from your idle clients, aka the people that are going to buy your stuff, not your yeah. C-suite, um, yeah. going <laughs> going by what the real people that are going to buy your product actually want and care about. Yeah, that's that's smart. Now, I appreciate this is going to vary from organization to organization, but are there any? Is there a process that you'd like to put in place when it comes to nailing down this this stage to how is my solution actually helping them? Because you mentioned kind of talking the same language, which I'm guessing, feel free to correct me, you mean actually using the words that kind of target clients use, kind of putting media or messaging in front Mm -hmm. of people that they actually care about seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, is there a strategy you like to do when it comes to this? Because I know you you mentioned it might be quite a lot of in-person events. So is it just a case of kind of setting something up and seeing how it goes? Or is there a case Mm -hmm. of I will put out ads on LinkedIn and see how that goes for X amount of time and we'll do an event and we'll do this? Or is is there a play that you recommend so it's not more of a hit and hope or a guessing strategy? Is is there like a strategy that you recommend? 
yeah i think the part th there should be a strategy but there should be also a bit of experimentation uh, i think it should be kind of a mix of both in a way right. but uh, the best way i would say is to start you know if you did your part one right which is basically trying to understand your audience trying to gather this information as i mentioned like you know are there any in-person events um which is the social media channel they prefer do they search on google you know these are the things that you can find out from them and if you kind of start with that that's already a good you know step in building your 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 further strategy of how you're going to convey those messages and what is the best way to convey those messages so if you kind of start with that you have still space to explore other channels and you can test out things and see what works and definitely you will you know have some miss but um i think it's important just to kind of do things from perspective of understanding your audience not saying you know like oh our competition is on i don't know instagram so we'll just do the same yeah it's not about that it's really like getting the words from your audience first and then yep. second, trying to put that in action and trying things that you think could work for them um, and being maybe a bit more careful in a way, testing out, you know, from, you know, creatives to the language, to the length of the text, to the visual part. I, I think it's, um, it should be always a bit about the testing. Yeah. Have you got an example? of where you've leveraged a customer problem or a prospect problem and then put it into a piece of media or messaging or something like that to kind of build up demand or how you've basically take it transform that process of understanding your audience and then utilizing that into a piece of content okay. and piece of media messaging okay. whatever it might be um or how or how you think people should do it yeah, I, I have one example that comes to my mind, which is kind of specific, but it was a really interesting insight we got. Um, so, for example, as, as I said, our our audience for our business is more of a traditional kind of ways. Uh, the things in in a way they're doing things in more manual way or more, let's say, it old school way. Uh, so for them, some things last and they last, you know, for days um, to be more concrete. For example, companies that we are engaging with uh, do uh, financial reporting that can last, you know, like a week time to create you know, one report. And what we do with our solution, we basically, you know, cut that, that time by like, I don't know, 95 percent. Um, and what was interesting, for example, getting uh, the information from the ground, how much time they're actually, you know, spending on these manual processes, that actually these people are even staying overtime to, to do those things. So they're not going home in, on time. They're like, you know, finishing their reporting Thursday, Friday. They stay, I don't know, till 7, 8 p.m. to finish that. And that's kind of normal for them. And what was interesting that, you know, when you kind of shift their mind and, and show them there are solutions where 
they don't have to do that. They can just you know, go home in the normal, regular hours. Uh, they can speed up that process, do it, you know, in five minutes. Um, it, it blows their mind, literally. Like, and, and what's beautiful about it is that they see it not only as a professional benefit, you know, I'll yeah. want to save time and do it in a few minutes. It's also like I can go home one time. Like that's, that's, that's a big change. That's awesome because so, you've taken it from a business case to an emotional case as well. Yes, yes, correct. And I think when we started kind of conveying those type of messages, which say you don't really have to, you know, spend your days at work, you can go home on time. And especially if we are talking about frontier and emerging markets, so Asia and Africa, those people spend hours in traffic. So hours. So imagine like staying at work till, I don't know, seven and then, you know, driving home for two hours. It's crazy. So like if you cut those time, they actually have more time to spend with their families. And yeah, it's, it's like, a, as you said, it's a professional benefit, but also very personal in a way. And that's kind of how you can actually shift, shift their minds. That's like the magic of marketing and sales, right? Being able to put across something that you can justify both logically and emotionally. Yeah. If you can put that case across, then providing that your solution actually fits the buyer's needs, then you're almost guaranteed to win the deal if you can get the execs on board with that kind of buy. And that's, yeah, that's powerful stuff. Cool. Um, so in terms of, this is a tricky one again, appreciate it. it's going to vary from situation to situation, but in terms of kind of demand gen plays, is there like, if we're putting media out on LinkedIn, kind of with these kind of messaging that we've talked about, if we're running in-person events and the, the places, the, the conferences or the communities that we know that our kind of target buyers are attending. Um, mm -hmm. Is it like a time frame in which that we should run these things to see if they're a success or not in terms of kind of we should do it for X amount of months or even years or any recommendations there? Well, I... I think, I mean, as anything that you do, I, I don't think you should, you know, try three times and stop and say, you know, this is not working. I think you need to take time, whatever that is, um, in marketing. Um, in our case scenarios, for example, what, what you now mentioned, in-person events as well, um, it's harder to, you know, justify success of an event or to describe it you know, mm. because we had questions in the past as well, like, you know, how many leads or, you know, how, how much we move the needle with an event. Um, and I think it's important to understand why you do things and what what do you expect as, as, as a success out of the things that you're doing. So I think for, the, for something like in-person events, I think they're very valuable and I think we need to understand that they are contributing more to creating demand than actually capturing demand. So if we say, if we go back to the beginning of our conversation where I said that creating demand should be a part of the strategy, should be a long-term part of the strategy, I think events should be definitely there. Maybe it's just a matter of tweaking and understanding, you know, what's the best for your company at those events. For example, for us, it's like, we definitely want to have a, we, ha we want to speak at those events. We want to have a chance to, uh, you know, express who we are and what we are doing and how we are helping. Uh, but we also want to have a booth. We want to be in a, in a physical way, you know, uh, approachable for the people who are there. So 
I think mm. it's just a matter of understanding, you know, where you're going with those activities, you know, what type of activities contribute to what type of metrics, um, and then tweaking that on the way. Got a bit of a different question, because um, I'm certainly a noob when it comes to in-person events. Like everything, we, most of the stuff we talk about on this show is relative to digital, especially yeah. on my solo episodes. Now, when it comes to in-person events, you mentioned that your company likes to do a talk um, when it comes to conference as well as having an in-person booth. How do you leverage these things that we've discussed when it comes to, like I can see, and feel free to share ideas here, how you do it when it comes to around doing a, a talk. Um, I've got some ideas, but it might be interesting to see how you do it. But how do you do it when you've got a booth? Like, do you just have a sign on the booth saying this is the problem we fix and like this is how our solution fixes it? Or what? how do, how do we leverage these insights that we've gained? Uh-huh. Um, well, as you said, there is always a bit and a part that it's kind of digital and it's building the story even before the event. Uh, we don't yeah. like to come to events as, you know, like we just landed and, and here we are and look at us. Uh, it's not about that. I think what we're trying to do is making sure that we are building the story before we're trying to understand who is the audience at those events, uh, how we can have the conversations even before the event, and then maybe have more like personal kind of networking thing at the event itself. Um, so it's kind of a mix of digital and offline activities that we are doing, but we prefer that if we have a booth, we prefer that people are coming to us because they know who we are and what they what we do. Um, and that's kind of important for us. We we see, of course, there are people that come by your booth and ask, you know, what is this company about? But we what's important for us and how we are building our stories to make sure that the audience that it's important for us knows our brand even before. And when they see that we are present at the event itself, that they're feeling more comfortable to approach us and, and talk about their problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not not just showing up at the event and hoping for the best, but yeah. actually preparing beforehand and Correct. doing doing things in the background to make sure the audience is aware of the company. Okay. And any tips when it comes to the speaking side of things? Is there anything that your team or whoever is it yourself that would talk at events or is it like the CEO or does it vary and anything that they like to leverage? So for us, um, yeah, usually it's the CEO. He's like a really good, uh, really good motivator and really good uh, talker. Uh, so he's the person who is kind of uh, speaking for us at the event. Um, and the tip about that, I would say that what we are trying to do is make sure that we have like a main message for that particular event. Um, so if we say, you know, this is the main thing we want to make sure our audience knows at this particular event, then we're trying to make sure that it conveys through the words of our CEO, through that presentation, um, through the booth and the conversations with the people that are you know being at the booth and we are also trying in some cases to do some kind of side events as well um, okay. and again making sure that we have the right audience and that we are pushing out the right message in the right way so um, I think 
you know, having events and being at the events, it's really, you know, as a person who even goes to the events, you get so many messages across, you know, it, it's a day or two kind of things where so many things are happening and you lose them. Um, what we are trying to do is making sure that there is like one top of the mind message we want everyone to hear for this type of event and then just making sure that it's, you know, going throughout all channels available at this event. Good stuff. Appreciate that, Vanda. That's helpful. Now, we we touched on it a little bit, um, but should these all these activities that we've been talking about, should they directly contribute to revenue? Um, how do we measure the real success of everything we've discussed? Yeah, so as I mentioned, it really depends on the activities and the channels you're using. Um, I don't think you can connect everything directly uh, to the revenue in that way. As I said, for example, events, we, you know, there were questions in the past where it would be like, how much ARR we can get from the event. And it's really hard to answer that question because mm -hmm. I think event is just like one of the big touch points in the buying journey. Yeah. Um, so I think it's uh, it's really about understanding, as I said before, of you know what can you expect from the activities that you are doing. Uh, so if we want to go back to the demand gen framework, you know, with the capturing demand, yes, you can kind of attribute directly, you know, how much ARR you're getting or you know, how many inbounds you're getting from this campaign or you know how much Google search is contributing, but. Um, I think it gets really, you know, harder when you're talking about something as event or just building a good content strategy. I think it's hard to attribute, uh, you know, is this piece of content giving us ARR we want? So mm -hmm. um, it's it's about, you know, putting all the touch points into one strategy, into one story, um, and making sure that you see the positive signals that help you understand that you are on the right path. Um, yeah. The first one, yes, it can be ARR, it can be in the number of inbounds or MQLs, SQLs, whatever you're tracking, um, however you want to call them. But uh, the positive signals can be, for example, if you're building demand in the markets where you haven't been before and you're just entering, I think, good ways to look at, you know, increasing the organic traffic um, or branded search. So I think those type of things can just help you a bit to understand that, yes, you know, there is positive signals happening that you're on a good path and you can just continue doing what you're doing. So in time you see growth in all the, all the parameter, parameters that you're tracking. Yeah. 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 That's, that's what I was going to lead on to really. Cause Ultimately, when it comes to doing all these things, depending on the events that you're trying to attend or the ads that you're trying to put out or the channels you're trying to market to in front of your target prospects, quite often they're quite a heavy event, quite a significant investment, depending on the size and the scale and how big your target um, audience is. So getting the, the C-suite on board and getting that approval on the budget can often be difficult, right? So I think it comes back to what you said, setting those expectations up front and kind of explaining that this isn't going to be a quick hit. It's going to take yeah. some time 
Um, if you want like instant SQLs, MQLs, we need to capture demand with Google paid search, Google organic search, review sites, etc. Whereas this is a completely different play. This is kind of building brand awareness over time. Um, and these are the kind of signals that we should, that we should look out for. Um, whether it's those things that you mentioned, whereas it's also kind of getting feedback from the target market, like they really enjoyed the event. They're going to bring like their network there next time and they're really, or they're really enjoying your audio event or they're really enjoying your video series, whatever that may be, kind of looking out for those things over time. And like you say, if that in itself is going to contribute to, to inbound um, and to revenue. And the good thing I suppose about demand, Jen, is from what I've experienced from my own side is it can actually feel, help your demand capture because i know you said about kind of if you're looking at your analytics on your website and you're looking at your own traffic go up if you're looking at branded search go up and all those kind of things but also i think if people are constantly seeing you say when they're doing google search or if they're constantly seeing your review sites or on linkedin and then when they go to other channels where they go to events and other thing places they hang out if they're seeing you there like you're you're constantly in front of your your buyer so no matter the channel, they're um they're thinking of you and you're, you're kind of top of mind, really. So all, all good points. Is there anything we've not covered when it comes to the strategy? Is there anything we've we've missed out of? We covered it pretty nicely. I think we covered a lot. Awesome. <laughs> Nothing particular comes to my mind right now. I think we went really, really deep. <laughs> Excellent. Well, yeah, I think, I think that's it, Vanna. So yeah, really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks very much for, for sharing your wisdom when it comes to building b2b demand in emerging markets with that please do tell us more about how everyone tuning in can get in touch with you reach out to you anything you'd like to, to promote to our listeners yeah um yeah if you want to reach me you can always reach me on linkedin so vanda Yirasek, you can reach me there um and if you want to learn more about the company and what we're doing and how we are helping the emerging markets um you can go and check oradian.com um and hopefully yeah we'll see you there and uh, you can learn more about how we do demand gen in emerging markets awesome and we'll put all of those links in the show notes at businessgrowth.marketing and with that vanda thanks once again for coming on thank you sam it was great no worries and as always if you enjoyed today's episode a quick rating or review on your audio podcast channel goes a long way or subscribe on youtube is much appreciated and with that We'll catch you on the next one for more actionable, no BS, B2B marketing tips to grow your business and grow your revenue. Cheers for tuning in.